thinking about Washington or New York or Philadelphia. They're, they haven't earned the right to do that, and it would be a mistake right. for them to do that. There's a multitude of things that contribute to being two and seven. Well, and the easy face is Jerry Jones. You know, of course. It's funny. Nobody wants to say that Will McClay is an idiot. Nobody wants to say that Stephen Jones is an idiot, and nobody wants to say that Tony Romo is an idiot. They've kind of but developed. But don't say it about uh, Jerry. He okay, usually gotcha. does okay. follow the number one. So he'll, it'll probably be Brent Grimes on Des Bryant. Um, Des obviously has the size advantage there, but Brent Grimes definitely has the leaping ability. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. I am your host, as always, KD Drummond. Thank you very much for spending a little bit of your time this week with us as we discuss any and everything related to the Dallas Cowboys and their ridiculously annoying, insulting, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, mind-blowing, any adjective with a hyphen in it that you can think of seven-game losing streak. There's hope on the way, though. Tony Romo is ready to make his triumphant return as the franchise quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, and we will see if in this just very dilapidated, disgusting, downtrodden NFC East division of theirs, if there's any hope that they can pull out a miracle and still make it into the 2015-2016 NFL playoffs. Another week, another loss, this time to lowly Tampa Bay as an offense that has misfired on more than one occasion, could not come up with a single touchdown. The defense, which has been hit or miss, mostly hit in the last few weeks, except for down the stretch, once again gave up a game-winning drive. The referees, of course, did their part. Phantom calls, missed calls, bad calls bad spots, you name it, Bill Vinovich and his crew did whatever they could to make sure that the home team won for the 11th straight time. I guess those guys are just scared of leaving a stadium where the home crowd is a little bit disappointed in the way that the game went because for a home team to win that many consecutive games for a referee crew that gets assigned randomly around the league, it just stinks. Shout out to my man, Mark Lane, for bringing that fact and factoid to our attention. 
Speaking of Mark, make sure you're following all of us and reading along daily on CowboysHQ.com. Myself, Cowboys Insider Mike Fisher, Mark Lane, Jordan Ross, and of course, Joey Ikes round out that crew. And I can't forget, obviously, my co-host Keith Mullins here on this show, who is, by all accounts, part of the team. We'll check in with him later, as well as Fish, and we will be bringing you a quick knock-down-the-ten-pin session with Kevin Nogle, managing editor for the Finsider, to get a view on how the Dolphins are viewing this matchup. You know, Miami fired their coach early in the season. They've won three out of four. They're in the race. I believe the sixth seed in the AFC is five and four. Miami sits in four and five. So this is a game against, for them, a lowly two and seven Cowboys team they can't afford to lose. Uh, So we'll check in with Kevin and see what the latest and greatest is on the Dolphins. But for now, let's jump right into it because I really don't feel like talking about Tampa Bay. I don't feel like talking about what happened in that game. It's a brand new season and the Cowboys are starting out in a hole. That's that's the most polite way I could put it. I was going to cuss, but we're going to try not to do that this week. So we're going to start the season over, see what they can do. They are two and a half games behind the New York Giants with seven to go. There's a chance. It's a possibility. It's not very likely, but there's a chance. So let's chop it up with the one and only Mike Fisher and get this show rolling. You know what it is. Definitely moving on up anytime that we have a chance to talk to the one and only Cowboys insider, Mike Fisher, we take that opportunity, and that opportunity has arrived. How you doing, my man, Fish? Well, I'm getting ready to go back to Florida. It's not a bad life. Hey, if I could go, uh, you got room in your bag? I mean, I'm a, I'm a little heavy. Yes, I might I might not get that, that whole 40-pound TSA requirement, but, you know, we can make it work. <laughs> You won't fit in the overhead department, huh? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think, you know, when I'm, I, I don't think, anyway, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but right, well, I'll, we do I'll have, handle it this time. All right, good deal. We do have some good news uh, for fans of Cowboys Nation. Obviously, it's no secret. Everybody knows it's what we've all been waiting on, the return of the one and only Romo Dini. Tony Romo returned to the lineup this week. Uh, he held court today for the media. So catch us up on any and all things Tony Romo. Yeah, this actually goes back to last Thursday and Friday when he was at practice and did uh, did a bunch of scout team stuff. And rather than do the conventional scout team quarterback where he would have imitated Jameis Winston and given his team that look, he instead kind of did Romo stuff. So he's changing plays at the line of scrimmage and calling out protections and watch out for this blitz and watch out for that. So he got to work on being Tony Romo on Thursday and Friday. And then today in the best sign of normalcy ever, like a Romo Wednesday, 
and he, mm-hmm. he took the practice off after having obviously gone to the morning walkthrough. So he's careful to note, and so are the Cowboys. This isn't Tony Romo, the savior. This isn't Tony Romo's Superman or Jesus. Uh, it, it's just one more really good player that increases the possibility that the Cowboys might win just one game. Yeah, and as you look over the past seven games that they've lost, you can obviously make a case how having a franchise quarterback, an MVP contending type of player would be able to make an impact on almost all of those games. I think really the the New England game is the only one that you look at and say they might have still lost that game even with Romo, although the defense played very very strongly in the first half of that New England game and the offense wasn't giving them a chance to rest. Uh, But all in all, it's safe to say that a franchise quarterback will make a difference for your team, but that's not all that ails the Dallas Cowboys. So with that said, everybody is still uh, going off of the article we put up on Cowboys HQ last week that laid out all the scenarios and the schedules of all the teams. And people are, uh, I think for me, jumping the gun a little bit and saying, Hey, we could be tied for the division lead in just three weeks. If if the Cowboys are going to make a comeback, it's not probably not going to happen until the, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, if then, if at all. Uh, but what's the mood like with the players as Romo comes back? Uh, a lot of quotes yeah, that I saw. Go ahead. Yeah, they're clearly buoyed by his presence. But at the same time, and this is the job of Jason Garrett and others, they they, they don't need to worry about if we win this many and they lose that many. They They have enough problems being focused, and I mean all of them, being focused at today's job and today's job and tomorrow's job is, is to prep and practice for Miami. It's not to beat Washington. They're, they're not good enough to afford the luxury of thinking about Washington or New York or Philadelphia. They're, they haven't earned the right to do that. And it would be a mistake for them to do that. Yeah, and especially this week because they're on the road in Miami against a team that has won, I believe, uh, three of their last four. The only loss was to New England, and we can all attest to how difficult of a matchup that is. And they're just a game out of a playoff spot in the AFC. So for them, for for the Dolphins, this is a crucial matchup as well. So to look beyond them and think this is going to be an easy game just because Romo comes back, that that's a little bit foolish. And I would doubt that any of the players on the team are feeling that way, uh, even if a lot of fans are kind of, you know, doing the whole win, 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 win on the, on, on the schedule calendar. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, proof that the Cowboys are not standing pat is the fact that they have made several personnel moves, and one of them was confusing to the a majority. I, I'd say the majority of people that follow the team. Uh, you've reported for the last month the, the difficulty that Christian Michael has had. Uh, they named him starter. They backed up off of that. Uh, and he yep. just hasn't really been able to make way with this team. So cutting him wasn't too much of a surprise, but there was another release that kind of caught people off guard. Talk to me about the personnel moves they've made. Yeah, they, they've actually done a handful of things. And a lot of people think of this in a linear way. Oh, they cut him to add him. But, in fact, they, they're moving a bunch of guys out and moving a bunch of guys in. Uh, one of those is Robert Turbin, the running back, formerly of the Seahawks. That pipeline goes on here. Uh, 5'10", 222 pounds, and he's, he's, he's a bullishly built guy. I stood next to him. Now, he's squatty, but, but he's put together. And, obviously, mm-hmm. he did some good things in Seattle. Had he not hurt his ankle, 
he probably wins the number two job in Seattle uh, behind uh, Marshawn Lynch. And we never really get to hear of Thomas Rawls. And uh, and some of these other guys are cast by the wayside. But he hurt his ankle, and so they got rid of him. He's bounced around a little bit with a couple tryouts, was in Cleveland for a minute. And the Cowboys think that he can be the number two guy here as soon as he learns the playbook. They uh, And by the way, it's, it's not because Chris and Michael did something evil. He He's just a goofball. And and his goofiness got in the way of him learning the playbook. You're right. A month ago, they were handing him the starting job. And they reached out and handed it to him, and he fumbled it by making too many mistakes on the practice field. And that's the end of that. Uh, they do the same thing with Corey White. They move up the practice squad cornerback, uh, not because Corey there's, – there's one report out there that Corey White you know, was a jerk or a goof. No, no, no. He, he just – he got outplayed. In the last two weeks in practice, he got outperformed by the practice squad kid. And I talked to the kid, and he goes – and I ran this by him. I said, you guys had so many injuries in the secondary. Let me guess, you got to play some first-team cornerback. And you look good. And he said, yep, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, it's not bad guy Corey White. That's that's really not it at all. And if you ask Will McClay that, he will tell you, no, 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 that report's wrong. They just they just found somebody that outplayed Corey White. And so they made that change. And then, obviously, uh, the linebacker rookie Mark Ensacha is what – that's his college pronunciation. So, anyway, so up he comes. Up comes the practice squad cornerback. Overcomes Turbin, and uh, by the way, Des Bryant went over to Turbin and had a very passionate, you know, welcome to the club kind of a thing. It was kind of cool. And then, as you know, they don't have to do the Romo thing until Saturday, right? And so that's why he doesn't appear on the Wednesday's practice injury report because he's not even on the team yet officially. Oh, those crafty front office guys with the Cowboys—they're really going to sneak up Tony Romo on the Miami Dolphins, aren't they? Oh, it'll be sneaky. Now, it is it is clever, though, because in a way, if you wanted to do this right, you could basically have 54 guys on your roster, and one of them not counting. But having said that, we wrote this story, and uh, there must be 50 ways to bereave your Cowboys. If If you think the Cowboys management team is really stupid, you have a right to think that. I mean, they're, they've been stupid for seven straight weeks. Right. And you, you, I thought, you wrote a great piece on this on, Hey, I'm just kind of scatter shooting, wondering what went wrong. Uh, everything went wrong. The the the, the trade for By- Bryce Butler was wrong. The trade for Matt Castle was wrong. The trade for Chris and Michael was wrong. Not trading for Adrian Peterson. Oh, those idiots! <laughs> I, when when you lose seven straight games, you don't get to be executive of the year anymore, and you lose your genius shine. No, that's definitely true. And uh, as you said, I, I, I really like the articles that we put out back to back with with my, uh, you know, as you said, the random ramblings article and then your 50 things uh, way, ways for, for you to be depressed about the Cowboys, basically the way that I looked at it. Because a lot of people look for that uh, when things are going wrong. They want to always point to one thing uh, as the as a linchpin on things going south. They want to put the blame on one person because yeah. it's easier to have a face. But it's so many things that go into a team uh, being successful or not, and you know there there were there are obviously things that have gone right, but there are a lot of things that didn't work out the way that was planned, and people just need to face up to the fact that, like I said, it's a multitude of things that contribute to being two and seven. Well, and the easy face is Jerry Jones. 
it's, of course. it's funny. Nobody wants to say that Will McClay is an idiot. Nobody wants to say that Stephen Jones is an idiot, and nobody wants to say that Tony Romo is an idiot. They've kind of but developed. But they'll say it about uh, Jerry. But they'll say it about Jerry. Those other three guys are kind of scotch guarded. They're 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 protected from that. But as I've tried to explain, and you have too, Jerry Jones is not, Jerry Jones did not make the Bryce Butler trade. He doesn't. He didn't know who Bryce Butler was before, and he doesn't even know who he is now. That, <laughs> that's not the kind of general manager he is. He's right. a, he generally manages the business of the Cowboys, and good for him. He is not in charge of who's going to be the L4 on kickoff coverage this week at Miami. And, and you know, I, I've been trying to teach people that for decades. Uh, I know you're with me there, too. But uh, what, what's wrong with the Cowboys? is everything. And what's a fair criticism of the Cowboys? Everything. They they deserve every bit of abuse. This is part of being an American's team. If you don't like it, uh, go be the Buccaneers, who don't get any abuse. No, nobody. No. You The Buccaneers have to do something especially heinous or especially goofy to become a national laughingstock. They have to go, they have to, like, go 0-16. But, but the Buccaneers can lose seven straight games and it's not a story. It's a different deal here. It just is. I, I think that's crystallized in an in exchange that you had on Twitter that I came up on where you were dealing with a, uh, a Panthers blogger who was talking about basically showing how great of a franchise the Panthers are, Panthers are morally because of their lower rest rate. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're the team that drafted Greg Hardy and who he was playing for when this incident happened that you're now dogging the Cowboys for having him on the roster, but people are completely oblivious to anything that happens outside of the, outside the lines, unless it deals with the Cowboys. It was just an amazing yeah. exchange that you had with that guy. Well, it, it really, it's an interesting phenomenon. And then, and people want to, you know, you want to play this game. My NFL team's more moral than yours is. Right. It's a big parlor game. And no matter what your team is or what my team is, you're wrong. Because they're all the same. The, the the Patriots thought that they, when the Patriots drafted Aaron Hernandez, they knew what they were getting. Right. They they didn't know that he'd be a murderer, but 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 they knew what he was. Where, what round did they draft him in? Oh, don't get me the line. Was it, did he did he drop to the fourth because of the incident? Because of his he went, reputation. He, he went lower than he should have based on his talent. And Greg Hardy wasn't Greg Hardy a six round pick? Yep, Hardy was a six. But the pay, yep, but and, a, and Hernandez was a fourth. Yep. Okay, but Hardy in college had to be a second round talent at least. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So why didn't the Panthers take him in the second round? Because they were because worried they, about his off the field. Because because they were worried about him. Uh, that that's that's the way that's the way this goes, and and it's the Patriots and it's the Buccaneers. Now it. The moral compass um, is kind of like a pendulum. That 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 hand kind of goes. You know, the, the Ravens right now have a very strong moral compass because they they got slapped around pretty good on no pun intended on Ray Rice. <laughs> right. The, the Panthers right now have a very good moral compass because they got slapped around on Greg Hardy. But but the pendulum will swing back and. The Panthers will once again, sometime in the fourth round, draft a guy who uh, smokes pot. 
who's a third round talent, they'll draft him in the fourth. They just will. And I do. Th- I think. I think 99% of our followers and our readers understand that. And maybe I should quit responding to the 1%. <laughs> well, it, it is high entertainment, but I, I do feel your pain. Uh, fortunately, I'm blessed. I, I kind of have up a buffer, and people don't come to me with that, but I don't have nearly the follower account that you do, so that might also be a reason why. Um, be, before we before we sign off, I have to uh, – well, two things before we sign off. Um, Rolando McClain, when we started in the offseason, obviously – We've taken a lot of flack from Cowboys Nation for, I guess, being the first people to really highlight Rolando McClain's issues as far as practicing and commitment right. to the team and all of those things that stem back to when he was signed prior to last year when Sean Lee uh, tore his ACL. Uh, and obviously, we've been proven more right than wrong in some of the stuff that's come out about this guy, uh, flanked, obviously, by the four-game suspension and the four-game fine that he received. And over the summer, I posited that maybe Rolando McClain's four-game fine doesn't kick in until after the four-game suspension is over, which means that he would be basically playing weeks five through nine, you know, with the bye week for free. And sure enough, at the end of those four games, on the fifth game of his season, Rolando McClain turned in the best performance of his year. Am I right. crazy here? Is that just coincidence, or is this row being row? Okay, and then and I, I I never have verified your thesis there, but and then add to this in game nine last week, he his hand is trashed and his foot is trashed, and mm-hmm. he played anyway, and that would coincide with your the, the four and then the four and then the nine, right? Yep. So that and it, it's just, based on your theory, <laughs> he was playing for pay in game nine and and fought through it. This goes right back to what we just said about Greg Hardy and Aaron Hernandez. This is a first-round blue-chip talent, and mm-hmm. the Cowboys signed him to a one-year veterans minimum deal for a reason. Uh, and and they signed it. People like to say, well, that you signed a deal with the devil. Well, they're not. They're not devils. Greg Hardy's not a devil. Rolando McClain's not a devil. That that that's not fair. Uh, but but you get what you pay for. And in the case of Rolando McClain, they get a guy who 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 cares on Sundays at best. And I um, we we also said this at the beginning of this process last year. When people say, "Well, it's zero risk," no, no, there's risk because you're you giving can. the keys to the car to Rolando McClain and then hoping that he doesn't drive it straight into a wall. Um, Probably, what do you think, half of the year last year he was really good, and half of the year he was just a guy. Yep, exactly. And and this year he's been good twice out of nine games. That's not good enough. And obviously uh, you mentioned his hand and his foot. Uh, He's not the only one dealing with injuries, so – uh, before we sign off, let's go ahead and do a rundown of who came back, who's working, uh, and the overall injury report. Let's start with uh, Dez and what he's working with. Yeah, Dez on Wednesday listed as a non-participant, but I did talk to him, and he he put in quite a workload somewhere. He was he was bathed in sweat, so even if he didn't practice, he went and did a lot of work. He'll be fine for Sunday. Sean Lee's back on the field. He's passed the concussion protocol. He's fine. Nobody knows this, but Greg Hardy's got a got a bum leg that he's dragging around. 
but uh, but he if you go to my Twitter account at Fish Sports, you see him dancing through stretching. So I think he's going to be fine. To uh, Mo Claiborne is a problem. Uh, I I would if if you're if I'm a bet man, Mo Claiborne doesn't play this week. And if I'm a bet man, I don't think Mo Claiborne plays the game after this either. I think that hammy is that bad. So oh, you wow. got some okay. problems there. And yeah, and uh, and Byron Jones is going to have to carry a huge load in the secondary. Barry Church is all dinged up, but he did practice today. So uh, they're they're trying to duct tape their way through this thing, and and of course play a couple games in a short time, and have Tony Romo be healthy enough to get them through it. And there it is. The hunt for seven in a row begins this Sunday against Miami Fish. I hope that when we talk next week, we will have some celebrating to do on behalf of the team that all of us are following so intently because I'm really tired of having these shows after a loss, man. I'm really tired. Nothing personal, but I'm really tired of doing these shows with you. (laughs) All right, my man. We'll talk again next week. All right, buddy. Take care. Cowboys fans are hoping that this weekend's game will be the start of an historic comeback. But on the opposite side of the ledger are the Miami Dolphins fans, and they are hoping that it is much ado about nothing, this return of Tony Romo. So for their take on everything, I am very pleased and honored to bring in the one and only managing editor of The Finsider. That's P-H, not an F, TheFinsider.com. The one and only Mr. Kevin Noble. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you tonight? I have absolutely no complaints except for the fact that my team sucks. Yours doesn't suck quite as bad, and it's going to be a beautiful game in hopefully sunny Miami come this Sunday. Um, The very first thing we have to talk about is the opening line on this game has the Dolphins at just a one-point favorite, which is obscene considering the Cowboys can't seem to beat anybody right now, even with the return of Tony Romo. What were your thoughts when you saw that? I think it's I think it's uh, Las Vegas giving the benefit of the doubt to Tony Romo and not knowing how to read the Dolphins. This turnaround that Dan Campbell had them for two games and then lost them for two games and now maybe has them back, I think that's where it is. It's just nobody really knows how to read the Dolphins yet, and there's a lot of optimism with Tony Romo coming back. Will there be rust, or will he be able to come out firing right away? Well, let's talk about that change with Dan Campbell. Obviously, you guys fired Joe Philbin uh, probably as early as I can remember a head coach being fired. You bring in the former Cowboys tight end uh, who has finally cut his hair, uh, which I'm, I'm actually <laughs> pissed about because I, I am the believer in the Samson theory. The more hair, the better. Uh, so, But he has made a tremendous impact, at least on the effort of this team, uh, and you've seen it in many areas. But what's the one significant way that this team has improved since Campbell took over? I think emotion is probably the best way. We, we okay. always hear how teams 
play to their coach and they mold into their coach. And Joe Philbin is a great guy. I think he knows football. I think he is incredibly smart. But he is so stoic, and he just stands there on the sidelines, and he never shows any emotion. And his speeches to the teams, he never shows emotion. And that's how the Dolphins would play under him. And it finally got to the point where playing without emotion became not playing well. And those first four mm-hmm. games, the Dolphins looked bad. I mean, they looked bad against Washington. They got lucky and got the win. And then they just looked bad for three more weeks, and he got fired. Now you bring in Campbell, and he absolutely comes in there with fire. You guys know it. You saw him, how he played. He brings that same passion to the coaching position, and he's getting the team fired up. He's making them hit each other in practice. He's turning practice into competition, so the team is always competing. And I think that's what you're seeing on the field now. Well, you know, uh, quite as kept Dan Campbell is the reason why the Cowboys have been so hideously attempting at doing this two tight end set for the last decade and a half because we had Campbell and we had Witten, and it worked so well under Bill Parcells that it's basically been an edict of every team since then that we've tried to do two tight ends. Uh, we had Fasano, we had Martellus Bennett, and now we have um, uh, Gavin Escobar that's just wasting away on the bench because we can't figure out how to do it without Parcells. So it's all Dan Campbell's fault, which means that we're going to have to <laughs> take out that wrath and that punishment on your Dolphins this coming Sunday. A man it's that's going to be in the happen. way of that. He's coming. It's, it's not going to happen. He's, okay, bringing okay, it in. He's, he's coming in with passion, and they want to make up for the fact that they've looked bad at the two home games we've had so far. Well, we're going to have to see what we can do about that with, with our promo <laughs> Dini offense, okay? Be afraid. Be very afraid. Now, <laughs> the guy that's going to be trying to, to, to stop that Romo Dini offense is, of course, the uh, defensive tackle in Dominican Sue, who was lights out a manimal in the playoff game when the Cowboys uh, were able to defeat the Detroit Lions last year. I believe Sue had two sacks. He had relentless pressure against what's supposed to be the best offensive line in football. So I am very worried what a motivated in Dominican Sue is going to do this, this Sunday. Talk to me about him and the difference that you're seeing with him under Campbell. I think that the first few weeks that – he was busy trying to figure out where his role was. He, When he first got signed, he called Cameron Wake and told Wake, this is still your defense, this is still your team, I'm coming to help you. And I think Sue took that to heart and was trying to figure out how he best fit. And he never mm-hmm. played with that passion and that near rage, a little bit on the crazy side, he never played with that. So then the last couple weeks, we've been starting to see it come out. And last week against the Eagles, it seemed like there was just a moment where he went, okay, I'm taking over this game. And he did. He was suddenly crashing through the offensive line. Pressures, he got a sack. He was getting tackles for losses. And then all of a sudden, they'd make a completion. The wide receiver starts running, and it's Indomitian Sue downfield making the tackle. And you're like, how did he get down there? He was everywhere, and it was suddenly that was the Indomitian Sioux that was a $114 million man. And I think that's what we're starting to see. I think that with Cam Wake out and Sue realizing that this needs to be his defense, that's what we're going to start to see a little bit more each week. And hopefully, at least on our side, that starts to show up and the Dolphins' defense starts to get the results from it. 
Well, you know, I, I tend to believe that you can't take the crazy out of a person. So I still think even though he seems to have been behaving so far this year, for the most part, that Sue still has a bunch of crazy in him. So what I'm predicting is that Sue and Greg Hardy are going to meet at the Dolphin logo midfield. I don't even care if a play is going on at the same time. They don't care. They're going to Greco-Roman wrestle at midfield <laughs> on the fish. Who do you have in that, that matchup? That would be an interesting move. I mean, Greg Hardy definitely plays with some crazy, and Indomitian 2 definitely has some crazy. I'll go with Sue just based on how freaking big that man is. Greg, Greg Hardy ain't no small fry, man. Uh, he's, he, not. he's a big he's dude, not. too. <laughs> he's not, but Indomitian Sue is just freaking ridiculous. Yeah, he, he, he's a mountain of a man. Uh, of course, we're here chopping it up with the – with the one and only Kevin Nogle of The Finsider. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at The Finsider. And again, that's P-H, get it, Dolphins, Finsider. I'm, I'm sure you're coming along, people. I'm sure you're with us on this. <laughs> Before I let you go, I need to know one player on each side of the ball, offense and defense. Obviously, we covered Sue, and we know that Jarvis Landry is, is a manimal out there on the outside. But give me one player on each side of the ball that is going to sneak up on Cowboys fans and when the game is over, we're going to be like, man, that guy's really good. I do love Jarvis Landry, but obviously he is pretty well known around the league right now. Um, mm -hmm. Probably my answer is going to be on the offense, running back Jay Ajayi. This will be his third game. He missed the beginning of the season with broken ribs. Uh, rookie, fifth-round pick. A lot of people said he was a first-round talent, but he got pushed to the fifth round because of concerns over a knee problem. He's come in, and he's averaging 8.1 yards per carry over the last two games. Six. It's limited carries, so it's a small sample size. Right. But when he gets the ball, he's explosive, he runs with power, and he makes people miss or breaks the tackle. So they, uh, they, they definitely will probably start getting him. I said definitely and probably there, yes. <laughs> well, uh start working more carries to him, which may cut into Lamar Miller's touches a little bit, but Ajayi definitely is coming with a chip on his shoulder to prove that he was worth that first-round pick that nobody wanted to use on it. On defense, you're probably looking at um, Chris McCain, maybe. He was working defensive end. We've seen some flashes from him. I think they're moving him back to linebacker this week because they have depth issues at linebacker right now. Koamisi and Jelani Jenkins are both banged up. So you might see Chris McCain. Um, another one that seems to finally be stepping into a bigger role. Another one you're starting to see come into his own in the defense is Jamar Taylor at cornerback. He's starting to step up. He's starting to play more physical. He's starting to make plays. He'll still get beat every now and then, but he's starting to make that transition. So you might be able to see him make a couple plays here and there. All right. So that's the guy that Des Bryant is going to take his lunch money from. I'll make sure to check that off on the box. Well, all in all, it's Brent Grimes. <laughs> Brent Grimes missed last week, and that put Jamar Taylor more into the forefront. Grimes missed with food poisoning. So he should be back, which should be okay. the matchup most of the game. Does he follow the uh, number one across the field, or is he more uh, he, dedicated? He to usually side? does. He okay, usually gotcha. does okay. follow the number one. So he'll, it'll probably be Brent Grimes on Des Bryant. Um, Des obviously has the size advantage there, but Brent Grimes definitely has the leaping ability to keep up with 
Bryant. Um, we've seen him seem to have lost a step the last few weeks, but he's also been playing with an injury. So maybe okay. the week off helped with that problem also. Yeah, Des has a myriad of uh, of lower leg injuries as well, a knee, an ankle, and a foot. Uh, obviously, the broken foot that, that knocked him out for five games. So we'll have to see how that matchup works out. But, my man, Kevin, thank you so much for all of your insight. I will make sure to give you much grief on Sunday as the Cowboys are pounding <laughs> the living daylights out of your out of your fins. But all in all, I wish you a good game with little injury. Thank you. Same to you guys. And uh, hope to hear from you on Sunday once uh... – the dust settles and Miami standing on top. Uh, that's not going to happen. All right. The one and only <laughs> Kevin Nogle, the Finsider, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You will not be disappointed and give him a follow on Twitter. Once again, it's at the Finsider. Do it and do it now. My man, Mr. Nogle, thank you again for your time. Thank you. It is well worth the wait when we have a chance to chop it up with the one and only Mr. Keith Mullins at Keith Deuces on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Mr. Mullins, how are you, sir? Outstanding in every way. How are you, sir? I am good, man. And I wish our listeners could hear some of our uh, behind-the-scenes conversation before we go on air and we put on our politically correct hats, at least for the most part. My politically correct hat is kind of tilted to the side. I, I stray off the reservation every once in a while. But it, it's fun times talking about the Cowboys when it's unfiltered. Uh, but regardless, there's so much to talk about, and I wanted to get your take first and foremost on the roster moves that the Cowboys have made. Uh, because myself, yourself included, we were a little surprised that Corey White hasn't been getting any playing time over the past few weeks as some of the secondary mates have struggled. We thought early in the season they could run him at free safety. We never saw that. Uh, he would be a good cornerback. Uh, we were impressed with what we saw in the preseason. And now the Cowboys have cut him, along with some other players. So talk to me. Go through. The floor is yours. Talk to me about the roster of the moves that the Cowboys have made this week. Yeah, I think that, you know, I saw these roster moves. Uh, someone was framing these up based on Jason Garrett's press conference today as these being moves to introduce competition. And, uh, and I actually think that what we're seeing is more uh, moves that are the culmination of competition that the Cowboys strive to have on this roster uh, all throughout the season and off season. So I, I think that some of these actually, you know, some are born of necessity and injury, but I think some of these are because some of these guys have actually played their way back out of Dallas. And so hopefully mm-hmm. if things are working the way that they're intended, you're left with the better football player, or at least the football player with a brighter future. And, uh, and to me, that's what Garrett alluded to was that there were some progress stoppers in front of guys that they wanted uh, to get time or to or to have up on the roster. So, uh, so in, in the case of White, it, as you mentioned, he had been he'd played himself out of game time, and we didn't get to see it. But obviously, in practice, buoy himself to the top, and even in the face of an injury to Morris Claiborne, they let a corner go, which confused people. But then we did see. A, a call up of a defensive back in uh in Deji 
and uh, we don't have to butcher his name too bad. Ola Toye. Ola Toye. Ola Toye. I had it. I had it right here. <laughs> uh, but uh, but so but he gets called up, and people don't know a lot about him. But here's a guy that played at North Carolina A and T, uh, but started his career for two years with the Colorado Buffaloes, who folks are a little more familiar with. And uh, you know he was a starting corner, started games at free safety. He's a big corner at six one, almost two hundred pounds. So fits that long uh, profile that the Cowboys like, and you know he's similar in size to a guy like Byron Jones or or um, you know some of the other corners the Cowboys have brought in around here. So not that he's going to thrust himself into playing time immediately, but getting him up onto the active roster does protect him. So apparently he had shown enough in practice. Obviously outplayed White because they had to make a decision right. between the two, and it wasn't a money decision. But they get him up, they get him protected, and he's and he's your fourth quarter at least uh, going in. So I thought you know that that one was probably the most surprising of the moves for us because we be, be, to before see you go on. I'm I'm sorry. Before before you go on, you had mentioned something that I definitely wanted to pinpoint, and that was about fans not seeing what's happening at practice. And, you know, we have these conversations, and obviously I have the conversations with Fish on a weekly basis, and a lot of fans don't know, don't remember, whatever way you want to frame it, that the next guy we're going to talk about was actually promoted to starter during the bye week and then lost the job in practice before he even had a chance to step foot on the field and show what he could do. The Cowboys also cut Christian Michael from the roster, and they've now signed a guy that was in the backfield with him in Seattle. A lot of people you know, are hopeful, as a lot of fans always are. For me, I'm a little bit concerned because he lost his spot in Cleveland to a guy named Glenn Winston. Tell me about the change from Christian Michael over to Robert Turbin. Yeah, and so uh, and we talk a lot about fan reaction on social media uh, because when we're doing this, that's who we're talking to, right? Is is the fans out exactly. there? So, so we we see that reaction come back, and I think we oftentimes make a point or counterpoint off of it. And especially in this market in DFW, where I sit, I know we've got listeners everywhere, but there's so many A and M alums. But a lot of people, given the uncertainty at running back, they they assigned a lot of uh, expectations to the Kristen Michael signing. Um, everyone knew right. that here was this phenomenal athlete that tested off the charts in every measurable, and people had seen him at A&M here. So there was a lot of thought that this is the future of running back. This is the draft pick they didn't get, right? So, uh, so people thought that he was going to step in, and we heard, as you mentioned, during the bye week that he had ascended to taking first-team snaps. Well, when Michael got, was made available by Seattle and ended up here, uh, you know, I reached out to people I knew that were close to the Seahawks, and they As were uniformed completely in the fact that this was a guy that was available only because the coaching staff could not trust him, that he was so assignment poor in terms of his understanding and application of their playbook that they couldn't get him on the field. And so they gave up in Seattle on a guy that's a young player and a tremendous athlete. And so now – We've seen the wave sort of come back to people assigning this as a huge front office failing. And I love that you mentioned the practice aspect because people said that the staff didn't give him a chance. This is a huge mistake to let Michael go, who's surely going to go on to superstar him somewhere else because the staff refused to, to let him have a shot because of money and pedigree and all of the other reasons that people want to assign to it. The fact here is, that Kristen Michael couldn't be trusted more with the playbook here 
than he could in Seattle. So the Cowboys did what you do. They brought in a guy that had enticing measurables and, you know, and some good tape. They got to take a cl- up-close look, and they saw all the warts up close that the staff in Seattle had, and they decided that after giving him every chance, people want to say he didn't get a chance. He got every chance because this team needed right. people to carry footballs. He got every chance to get a job on the field on Sundays. But this team needed a win. Every week of this streak that they didn't get one <laughs> for the last two months, they needed a win desperately. And they couldn't trust someone that was assignment poor because the stakes were so high. So after getting every chance, could not uh, earn – at least the value of the draft pick compensation that they were going to owe for him. So that decided the timing of it, but he wasn't worth the pick. So they, they let him go. And, uh, and so to me, well, hold, hold no on from, from what, from everything, from, from everything that I understand is that the, the pick was contingent on him being active for three games. So that pick is already gone. Uh, but for uh, me, the impetus on them, you, you heard differently. I, I thought I thought that it was six and he was up for five, but um, I'll confirm that. But uh, yeah, so. I, yeah. From from the information that I that I've seen, it was up for three, uh, being active for three. So, I, but yeah, we, we will confirm that later on. Uh, but for me, the impetus was if they couldn't trust this guy and get him on the field with these backup quarterbacks, with Tony Romo coming back, there's no way that they were going to risk this guy being in pass protection with Tony Romo back there and risking his. Uh, season, career, whatever you want to call it, uh, because he was so unsound in his assignments. So at that point, when you get when you get to that point and you're saying, there's no way that we can play him with our franchise quarterback, he hasn't earned the trust in the last month and a half, they might as well cut him at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, whether or not the compensation is gone, it only really determines the – it affects my emphasis on the timing. But the mechanics of it are still the same, is that if you can't trust him – and from what I heard in Seattle, it was – wasn't solely pass protection, which was bad, but even simple things like alignments and motions and, right. you know, and da- down to calls and routes. So, so, you know, I think there's no doubt that they wanted him to factor in and it, and it just didn't work out. So that's what you do. You get a look at a bottom of the roster guy and no doubt he was, despite his sort of mid season ascension there, that's really what the move amounted to. They took a bottom of the roster guy from one team, brought, brought him here and then, he filters his way back out the door in favor of backs that they retained. You know, they're back up to four backs. So you mentioned Turbin. Um, I think in getting Turbin, I don't have a lot of expectations, but behind McFadden, you didn't have any experience now. And so right. I think Turbin is, Turbin is two things to me. He's a guy they can trust to be assignment sound. And I think they'll find that out, but I have no doubt that when they went out and vetted him, they found that out also. And that was part of the reason. They mentioned they'd been watching for a while what was going on with him. And in Cleveland, he was hurt. And then as soon as he got healthy, they released him. So, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the backs they have there, and I know who specifically you said that he lost his job to, but, but you know, Duke Johnson and, and uh, Crowell are part of that equation as well. But, uh, but Turbin is, you know, a fire hydrant of a player, right? He's 5'10", 225. I have a lot of fondness for his build uh, because I'm a short – former football player myself. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, bowling ball running backs, definitely, definitely high in my book. So, uh, but one thing Turbin will do is if you get a third and one situation, he will put his hat on somebody and, uh, and, and drive through that tackle attempt. So uh, maybe they get a little short yardage usage out of him in that regard. Um, I don't expect to, 
go back to splitting carries or anything of that sort here with him. And then we heard at practice today, which I'm sure Fish probably talked about, that that it was actually Williams in Trey Williams, the back signed off the Redskins practice squad that ran with the twos today. And I think out of these four backs, if there's likely to be even one holdover to next year, it's probably Trey Williams. Um, you have of the firing contract in Lance Dunbar. Williams at yep. least has that skill set in terms of an open field guy. That you, so they've got this section of the playbook for Dunbar, and Williams probably can expand it by a couple of pages because he's probably more versatile on some of the inside zone stuff. Uh, he seems to run with a little more ruggedness than Dunbar. But, uh, but so I think that that's the guy that's likely to be around. So hearing that he ran with the twos today is promising because it means they've been doing something positive in the segment of practice that even the media are excluded from uh, here locally. Yeah, I'm 100% behind you on that, uh, the idea that Trey Williams is going to end up uh, being the guy that they at least give this audition to to see if they can move on with him instead of Lance Dunbar, uh, who will be a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, When Dunbar got hurt, I actually said we probably just saw the final snap of Dunbar's career with, with the Cowboys, which is depressing because we waited so long for them to integrate him into the offense, and they finally did it this year, and stupidly, they still had a guy that's not great at kickoff returns, returning kicks, and that's how his career with the Cowboys is going to end, injured on a kickoff return. But we've already talked about that. We, we drunken our Cowboys tears out of, a, out of a wine cooler glass, and we have to move on. Um, let's talk secondary, because things are not pretty, and although the Dolphins do not have a dynamic passing attack, they do have a dynamic weapon in Jarvis Landry. And from all accounts, talking to Fish, it looks like Mo Claiborne will be out this week and possibly into the Carolina game. Uh, which means that there is a bunch of shuffling going on. Byron Jones, the Swiss Army knife of the secondary, will probably take some snaps or all of his snaps at cornerback, meaning that we're going to be seeing the unthinkable again at the safety position. So walk me through this and make me feel better about this Cowboys secondary. So, uh, yes, you are probably about to see large doses of uh, Jeff Heath in concert with J.J. Wilcox at safety for the no! Cowboys. Uh, <laughs> now, now maybe, maybe, J.J. Uh, gets to play a little more box safety and, and demonstrates some value beyond being a core special teamer, which is, I think is probably where the futures of both of those players lie. It's actually where the presence mm-hmm. of both those players lie. Right. <laughs> but given the situation, they're going to get to start at safety. Um, so Byron Jones moves outside, and I think that actually we've seen nothing from the multi-talented Mr. Jones to suggest that he'll have any more trouble handling that assignment than he has the multitude of other tasks the Cowboys have thrown at him. And so I think if there's a silver lining is you get to let Byron carry Landry all over the field if you're so inclined. And uh, that's Mm. exactly what I would do because there isn't anything that scares me as bad as that. Uh, So to me, um, and, and again, of course, I was, we talked at length before the draft about Byron. I was pretty glowing in my assessments, and I thought that Byron healthy as a press corner reminded me of Darrell Rivas at Pitt. Not pro right. Darrell Rivas, but Rivas at Pitt. And so I think we might get to see a little chance uh, or a, a big glimpse of what I saw on that tape. And so uh, now I know that saying that will have everyone lined up at their keyboards uh, waiting to tell me that, 
that was wrong and that he's a free safety. But the Cowboys need him to be a cornerback this week and to be a very good one. And so I, I think that I, I have no worries about the fact that he's up to that task. So maybe maybe Byron gets gets his pick this week. That would be lovely. So I think that they're good there. I thought that Carr played decent this week. Um, the more again they played a ton of man in Tampa, and the more man coverage this team plays, the better Carr is going to be. Um, they right. play cover three as well. Uh, with Heath in the middle of the field is what you'll get now, which will be interesting. But uh, if they play cover three, all of those routes up the field, the vertical routes, all play just like man. So you know that all works for Carr as well. Um, so so I think that I mean that's that's the look of the secondary for the foreseeable future as as Mo's injury sounds uh, awfully serious. Yeah, and uh, it sucks because Mo was having such a great bounce back year. Obviously, a contract year for him. Injuries have always been. Uh, Issue one A to confidence being his one B, uh, but he had played, he had played with confidence this year, um, and it's so disappointing to see that you know right when you hope the Cowboys were getting their act together injury wise, uh, Sean Lee's coming back, obviously Tony Romo's coming back, Dez is already back, uh, that we're going to lose Mo, and now we're going to lose the one uh X factor joker, I guess you could call it in a secondary, and that's gonna be locking down Byron Jones to one position as opposed to having him be able to do any and everything throughout the game. So it'll be interesting to see if they do allow him to to shadow Jarvis Landry. Um and maybe that's part of what they were doing in preparing him by having him play all of these multiple positions is the fact that he is going to be the type of defender that can carry somebody all across the field uh based on what the matchup is. So very interested to see his performance. Uh, although the rest of the secondary leaves a lot to be desired. Well, and it does set the stage. Uh, you know, we talk about the club looking into the future with all of these decisions. I had mentioned on our roundtable show that Moe's play allowed them to do all of these chess piece things with Byron and realize right. that he could play wherever they want him to, right? And so uh, when it comes to looking forward, they'll have an interesting decision to make on whether or not they want Byron playing corner opposite Skandrick uh, in the future or whether they want to have him back at safety and, and acquire corners. So it, it, they've been able to find out that they have the flexibility to do both. It'll be interesting to see as it plays out over the next, you know, seven games, uh, what they decide to do going forward with Byron Jones and, uh, and how that impacts their personnel decisions and ripples through the rest of the roster. It's interesting because when free agency hit last year, the player that I wanted outside of Justin Houston, this was obviously before they signed Greg Hardy, uh, was Devin McCourty. That that was the splash that I wanted them to make. And his career trajectory is kind of similar to what we're seeing with Jones. Start off as a cornerback, move to free safety, be a, a pro bowl or pro caliber player at that position. Then now he's moved back to cornerback. Uh, so I think Byron Jones, and obviously we've talked about this, we've probably spent more hours of uh, – applauding the play of Byron Jones over the course of his college career, or at least the college tape we were viewing and his pro career than any other player, um, except for talking badly about Ro McClain. Have, have I mentioned how much I don't like Rolando McClain? Have I, have I mentioned that before? <laughs> Maybe once or twice. Okay. So I might have a segment or two dedicated to it myself. Yeah, it, it, exactly. We, we, we all know how we feel about that. And the, uh, 
You almost got me to talk about draft. For our listeners out there, if you're following us on Twitter, first of all, you, you better be following at Keith Deuces as well as myself at Katie Drummond NFL. We had a little bit of fun with the linebacker position, and I told Keith that I wasn't going to talk draft until we're mathematically eliminated, and he almost got me right there because I was about to start talking about linebacker <laughs> prospects. But it's not happening. <laughs> We're going to close the segment the right now before you miss. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not even going to get a, get a chance to say a single linebacker prospect name. That is it. Mr. Mullins, thank you for your time today here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. And we're going to chop it up after this victory over Miami to end the losing streak. Sounds great, brother. All right, man. We'll talk again soon, man. <laughs> You see that? He's not my friend. He tried He tried to sucker me in to talk about linebackers. I'm not talking about draft. Not yet. The Cowboys aren't dead. They're on life support, but we're not pulling the plug on them just yet. We got to see what our man Tony Romo can do. And with that, we will sign off on another great episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. Thank you again, of course, to my guest, Mr. Mike Fisher, Cowboys Insider. Follow him on Twitter at Fish Sports. Kevin Nogle of The Finsider, at The Finsider on Twitter, and, of course, the one and only co-host, Keith Mullins, at Keith Deuces on Twitter. We will be back next week. It's going to be a short week. It's Thanksgiving. So we're going to switch it up. We will probably post on Tuesday. So be on the lookout a day early for next week's crunch time as we hopefully are celebrating the end of a losing streak against Miami and looking forward to giving the Carolina Panthers their first loss because I doubt that Washington can do it this weekend. So we're going to have to handle that business ourselves. That's it. Make sure you're following us, Cowboys HQ, all day, every day. We appreciate your support in making this the best Cowboys podcast on the interwebs. That's it. We're out of here. Salute.